May your love be found, your glass full, your nephew canny, and your pants made of something flame retardant. You know, lest they catch fire. Hi, and welcome to Sex and Whiskey. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we're here today to talk about Creme de Month, the seventh episode of season three. Creme de Month aired on October 29th, 2017, and was written by newcomer Karen Campbell and directed by Norma Bailey. This is the second of Bailey's two-episode run during this season of Outlander, and I can only say I hope they bring her back again for season four. Whatever problems I had with A. Malcolm, None of them were with the direction. So, wow. I have to say, this part of the book has never been my favorite. But Campbell's deft hand with structure and focus keeps this episode moving. The adaptive choices here are surgical, slicing pieces from one event and stitching them to another to form a story that, you know, despite the Frankensteinian metaphor, becomes something much better than the sum of its parts. All right, let's go through the stones. In Creme de Month, we pick up from last week's tiresome cliffhanger to find Claire defending herself against an exciseman whose own clumsiness takes him down. Claire's Hippocratic Oath does battle with Jamie's pragmatism, and Claire wins out. I have to try and save him, Jamie. You understand? Meanwhile, the smugglers get to work, getting rid of the illegal store in the basement, while Claire retrieves supplies to save the exciseman's life and takes on another patient. Uh, Campbell is the name. Archibald and Margaret Campbell. Yi Tian Cho assists Claire as she tries and fails to save the man's life. Honorable wife fought hard. Sir Percival searches Madame Jeanne's for the smuggled casks and finds nothing, but is determined to catch Jamie one way or the other. I'll be watching you. Fergus and young Ian celebrate their success in unloading the unwanted casks, and Ian treats himself to a young barmaid named Bridget, who schools him in the arts of love. I thought you worked out of a kettle, Lucy. While young Ian is otherwise engaged, old Ian shows up looking for his son, and Jamie lies to him, saying he hasn't seen the boy. And Claire begins to see that the man she's with now is not the same man she left behind. Trust me, Claire. Jenny and Ian don't care what's best for the lad. I'm the only one teaching him the ways of the world. In the print shop, Percival's henchman shows up and finds Jamie's seditionist papers, which will mean hanging. Young Ian tries to fight him, but the man sets the place on fire before running off. Jamie saves young Ian, but is unable to save his print shop. As Jamie's current identity literally goes up in flames, it's decided that Jamie will take Claire and young Ian to Lallybrock, and we finally learn the secret he's been keeping from Claire. Lady does not yet know about you or the wife. No. One of the standard jokes in the Outlander fandom is calling Jamie the King of Men, and it hasn't been that far off from the truth. Throughout the show and the books, he's always maintained this roguish virtue, able to scrap in a fight but always trying to do what's right, a lover and a fighter. He loved Claire fiercely and well and sacrificed for her safety and for Brianna's, but then he dealt with a lot of trauma. He went to Culloden intending to die and didn't. He lived for years in a cave, not dead, but not really living either. He spent all that time in prison, where he was eating rats on the good days. 
And then he went to the English countryside, where he was viewed with side-eyed suspicion, then coerced into sex that resulted in a son he loved dearly, but had to leave. We've seen imperfections in Jamie before, but they were usually well-meant. Even when he did wrong, he meant to do right. And we forgave him. But now, he's a smuggler, a seditionist, and a liar. He's calculating, dishonest, and, well, kind of a dick. I love it. While Jamie suffered 20 years of traumatic history in the books, it felt like we were supposed to be with him on it, on his side, that he was doing all of these things, but there were good reasons, and he was still our Jamie, Claire's one true love, a man to cast a long and diminishing shadow on all other men. In this episode, what Karen Campbell has done so gloriously is let Jamie not just be imperfect, but kind of a jerk. The trauma he's been through has fundamentally changed him. He's angry and bitter and cruel while still being Jamie. He's complicated and beyond imperfect. And it's exactly what this part of the story needs. We need asshole Jamie. He's been through a lot. The universe has been cruelly unkind to him. And the result of that is a character who has a right to be angry, but is indulging that anger in ways that he doesn't have a right to. It's exactly what I wanted from this part of the story without realizing I wanted it until this scene with Jamie and Claire back in their room where he lashes out at her for doing what he forced her to do, run back to the 20th century and to Frank. You're not the boy's father, Jamie. No. I'm Brianna's father. But I didn't get to raise her, did I? For the first time, I'm looking at Jamie and seeing a truly imperfect man. Not someone who manages to screw up while doing his best, but someone who has given up on doing his best and just does whatever the hell he wants because screw everyone. And really, who can blame him? He's still good to his men and to Fergus and young Ian, but he cruelly lets his brother-in-law suffer with worry for his son. He loves Claire, but he lashes out at her in total unfairness and doesn't care. He justifies his behavior and makes her complicit by referencing all the deceptions they both engaged in when they were in France, trying to stop the rebellion. In the book, I always felt like the way Jamie lied to Claire and to Ian was so out of character, so wrong, and not narratively satisfying, because although there were reasons for him to be traumatized, he wasn't traumatized enough that it felt deliberate. It felt like we were supposed to be on his side, and I never really was. Here, we see his trauma and the effect it has had on him. He's worse in the TV show, and that makes it so much better, especially because there is a hint of the Jamie we know and love still in there, waiting to come out. Since you left, uh, I've been living in the shadows. And then you walked into the print shop, and <laughs> it was as if the sun returned and cast out the darkness. Meanwhile, Claire is kick-ass in this episode. When she discovers the exciseman is alive, even though he just tried to both rape and kill her, she jumps into action. She has to help him, and she won't let anyone, least of all Jamie, stop her. She employs Yi Tian Cho to assist her as she does everything in her power to save the man. She also calls him by his given name, and I'm going to follow her excellent example. While we don't get much Yi Tian Cho in this episode, what we do get is capable and lovely, and I hope to God we stick with this version of the character and leave the wretched and foully caricatured Willoughby behind. 
While in her desperate pursuit of saving the exciseman's life, Claire also manages to take on another patient in poor Margaret Campbell, and deals nicely with her brother Archibald's cold, utilitarian approach to her mental illness as he uses her to perform as a seer for cash. Another adaptive choice we seem to be making here, which I quite like, is that Archibald doesn't appear to be a reverend, which he was in the book. I like that he's merely an opportunistic prick. It makes him more interesting and somehow less patently vile. I like Archibald as a weak little weasel instead of a slyer and more inherently evil presence. I also absolutely adore that Claire wants to put up a shingle of her own and start a practice in Edinburgh. She gave up 20th century medicine for Jamie, but she doesn't need to give up healing. And even in a time and place where women didn't work, unless they were working girls, she knows what she can do and is determined to do it, no matter what. As Claire moves through this episode, we see her strength and her will and her heartbreak when she fails to save the man who tried to kill her. It's all so beautifully expressed. I like, too, that in this moment we have Jamie comforting her while still being obviously glad that things worked out in a more pragmatic way that suits him. And here is Claire, having traveled back 200 years to be with this man, to discover him as a darker version of himself. But she doesn't back down. She does not relinquish him to that darkness. When he lies to Ian about knowing that young Ian is safe, Claire challenges him hard. She pushes back against him, fighting not just for what is right, but for the soul of the man she loves. And when they fight, and he is terrible to her, using the things he forced her to do against her, she doesn't for a moment even try to see things his way. She doesn't let him intimidate her, and she doesn't allow his bullshit narrative any space within her. She is strong, and she is lovely, and this is a Claire I can so get behind. Season three hasn't been very good to Claire. I'm glad we're turning that around now. And I hope we continue to have this Claire for what's left of the season and the show. So if Frank and I had raised Brianna to be a criminal, taught her how to smuggle and, and be a traitor, then you'd approve? At various times in the past, I have referred to Outlander as capability porn. And this is not meant as an insult. I love it. I love seeing people who are good at what they do, and this is no less delightful with the wild capability we see in Fergus and young Ian in Creme de Mont. While it was always my expectation that Fergus would be competent and strong, as he has been since he was a little boy, young Ian was a bit of a wild card. But when he negotiates to get a good deal for the casks, he is desperate to unload, even going so far as to throw in the Creme de Mont that no one wants as a bonus. We get a vision of this kid as a serious player on the Edinburgh smuggling scene. Later, when he's losing his virginity in the print shop and is interrupted by a dangerous man, he gets his paramour to safety and fights, holding his own against this guy and protecting his uncle. He's quick on his feet and brave, and when we discover that he's been running away repeatedly to go work with Jamie in the big city, it's clear that this kid knows what he wants and is brave enough to go after it. And at the same time, he's still a kid. The conversation he has with Fergus about Auntie Claire is delightful. And Fergus's fishtails about her conduct in battle are steeped in such respect and affection that's heartwarming all the way around. She would heal men who'd been cut in half by swords, blown to pieces by cannon fire, without flinching. Let's not forget, Fergus must be a bit north of 30 by now, but these two together are equals, brothers in arms, and young Ian has earned every bit of respect he receives. 
It's another fine adaptive choice from Karen Campbell. And I'm so gleefully impressed with the work here. Even so, she has created a bit of a catastrophe, no? Aye. Karen Campbell is new to Outlander, and while the front end of the season was written by veterans of the show, as we move into the back half, the episodes are going to be almost all written by the freshmen on the team, who are moving into starter positions. If Campbell's work here is any indication, this can be a very, very good thing. One of the things I absolutely love about this episode, aside from the brilliant adaptive choices, is that we keep it anchored in the antagonism of Sir Percival Turner, allowing him to give form and forward movement to the episode. Every bit of trouble in this episode, the man attacking Claire, the impromptu search of the Kittlehoosie basement, the break-in and burning down of Jamie's print shop, all of it serves to push our heroes into action and to put Jamie on a decidedly well-earned back foot. The structure here is simple but powerful, and I love the way this episode moves from one crisis to the next, all of them connected, none of them random, and all connecting back to the selfishness and anger that is threatening to become Jamie's downfall. Creme de Month is a beautifully written and constructed episode, which, like Jamie, hasn't got a spare ounce of fat on it. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what else our scrappy freshman bench brings to this game. All right, that'll do it for today. I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 3, Episode 8, First Wife. Slangeva. Sex and Whiskey is a chipperish media production and is entirely funded by passionate story lovers like you. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can become a chipperish media supporter.